Welcome to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. New Orleans are scheduled to play a doubleheader today against the Chicago White Sox with the first game starting at 4.10 p.m. After being rained out yesterday, probably for the best because the Orioles are in the midst of a four-game losing streak and have given up 73 home runs in the month of April, which is 20 more home runs than the next worst team and also a major league record. So probably needed that day off there. And today we're going to start the show before we bring our guest on with a bit of a mailbag. I have a few questions that people asked me over the last week that I want to get answered for them. So without further ado, uh, Josh and Belair ask what the biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment has been this season. And other than the disappointment of the team being 10 and 20, uh, I would say that the biggest disappointment for me is Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott's got an electric arm. He's got a high 90s fastball. He's got a devastating slider but he can't seem to harness that control and throw, throw his pitches for strikes consistently. Uh, he just got, a, got demoted to the minor league level after pitching it to a 6.75 ERA in six and two-thirds innings, allowing eight walks and two home runs. Now, he does have 12 strikeouts, which is what you like, and he gave us a glimpse of that talent that he possesses on April 20th against the Twins when he threw two innings out of the bullpen, no hits, no walks, and he struck out five batters. Tanner Scott has the talent and the potential to be an elite reliever in the major leagues. However, he can't consistently throw his pitches for strikes, which is really hurting him, hurting the ball club, and it's not doing great things for his career. So hopefully the demotion to the minors will help him you know, figure it out, start throwing more strikes, and hopefully he can get back up to the big leagues sooner than later and help this ball club win some games. As for my biggest surprise, I don't think it's any surprise here that it's Dwight Smith Jr. batting 276 with five home runs and a team-leading 19 RBIs to go along with three stolen bases and really shoring up that defense in left field. Something the Orioles have been lacking the last couple of years. Dwight Smith wasn't even on this ball club until I believe it was March 8th, and now he's a starting left fielder. He's hitting in the middle of the order every night, and he's contributing. Like I said, he's leading the team in RBIs. So for me, Dwight Smith... Definitely the biggest surprise on the ball club right now. Uh, Matt in Baltimore wants to know why the Orioles would DFA their most experienced catcher in Jesus Sucre. Um, you know, for me, it was a bit of a surprise, too. But when you consider the fact that Pedro Severino is out of options, so he can't be sent down without clearing waivers, and he's a bit younger of a catcher, possibly more talented, you can understand why Sucre would be DFA'd. They want to get wins up here. Uh, they like what wins did in, short, in a short stint last year with the ball club. Um, you know, he's a, he's a little bit better of a hitter so far throughout his career than Sucre was. He's just as good defensively, and he's younger. He's three years younger than Sucre. So, uh, and... Really, the main thing here is this is a rebuilding ball club, and all of these guys are just placeholders. It would be probably the biggest surprise of the season if the Orioles didn't draft Adley Rutschman with the first pick in the draft. So, like I said, these guys are all just placeholders. I, I think that Sucre isn't long to be on this ball club, although he did accept his assignment to AAA after clearing waivers. And Pedro Severino, in my opinion, has the best chance to still remain on this ball club once Rutschman makes it to the major leagues. If he does get drafted, we're just assuming he will. Uh, because Severino, he's, he was a top-catching prospect in the Nationals organization, but his bat just wasn't going to play at the big league level. Well, now he's hitting above 260. He's got four home runs. He's driving the ball with authority. And he's still playing that great defense that made him a top prospect. 
Wins, I think he's just like a Caleb Joseph. He's always going to be a backup catcher, in my opinion. So for me, it's it doesn't really matter who it is because they're not going to be here long term. Pedro Severino could end up being a starter for a couple of years and then taking a back seat to Rutschman or possibly even be traded if his strong season holds up and gets some more prospects into the organization. Uh, and then John in Buffalo, all the way from Buffalo, asks if when we will see Ryan Mountcastle at the big league level. After a slow start, he's got that batting average up to 300. He's got five home runs, 19 RBIs. People, when they're watching a bad ball club, are clamoring to get some of these top prospects up. And he is a top 100 prospect in the minor leagues for the Orioles right now, AAA Norfolk. He has a 327 on base percentage this year. Uh, his career high for walks is 26. If we all recall, last year, Buck Showalter sent him down saying, after a strong spring, saying, hey, we want you to really work on taking more walks, seeing more pitches, and not being as aggressive at the plate. Now, the lack of aggressiveness at the plate may change the type of hitter that he is, but, you know, power sluggers, power hitters should see more pitches. They should get on base at a higher rate than 327. They should, they should get more walks because they're feared hitters in the lineup. So if he can cut down that swing, you know, prove that he can see more pitches and have better at bats, he could be up here. However, we've seen with the demotions of Yasniel Diaz and Austin Hayes and Chan Sisko that, they, that these guys, this new regime in Mike Elias, Sigma Dell, Brandon Hyde, they want to see these guys do it consistently at the minor league level before bringing them up to the major league. So I wouldn't be surprised, despite how well he's been playing, to see Mountcastle spend the entire season down at AAA and then possibly come up as a September call-up. If he comes up before that, it's because he played his way onto the roster. But right now, I wouldn't expect to see him before September. And our guest, uh, Adam McInturf, and I are going to be talking about Ryan McIlsell here in a little bit. And then the final question that a lot of people have been asking me, so I'm not going to narrow it down to just one person, is should the Orioles extend Trey Mancini? And we've talked about that at length with past guests on this show, uh, namely Matt Pine and Glenn Clark. Should they extend him? And... You have to think about the fact that he's in a first baseman playing the outfield. He's got a strong bat, but he's 27 years old. In my heart of hearts, I would love to see the Orioles extend Trey Mancini. But by the time this rebuild comes to fruition, he's going to be in his 30s, and he may be past his prime years of productivity. So for me, you can dangle him out on that trade market. You can see what you could possibly get for him. But if he's going to be hitting in the 300s, hitting 25 to 35 home runs and driving in close to 100. I think it's worth considering the extension, but again, with that age, he may be better suited as being a trade option and getting more prospects into the organization, simply because if he's still here in his 30s and he's not as productive, you're going to look back on it with regret. If he's 23, 24, even 25 years old, I say extend him right now. But I think because of his age, that's the main hindrance in extending Trey Mancini. And I think he's more of a trade option at this point than anything else. And with that in mind, we're going to bring on uh, Adam McInturf, the assistant director of pro scouting over at 2080 Baseball. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about some of these minor league players. Adam, how are we doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you on the show today. Uh, before we get started... Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit of your background and how you got started in pro baseball? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, background in playing and scouting. Uh, started my first, you know, through college and after my undergraduate years, 
came up through internships and things like that. Uh, started as a video intern in the minor leagues, um, intern with the Texas Rangers and amateur scouting, and then I was a uh, baseball operations assistant for the Orioles um, before taking this job here with 2080 Baseball, where I'm the assistant director of uh, our pro scouting coverage. Uh, at 2080, so it's it's been fun. Our website is 2080baseball.com. We try and uh, put out a very kind of industry slanted uh, scouting content, both on the MLB draft and uh, for pro prospects. Um, and we have a lot of great stuff rolling out on the website at 2080, especially with the draft right right around the corner. And the Orioles obviously picked it first. All right, so you're definitely a guy that we can talk to who knows what he's talking about when it comes to these minor league players, and that's something we're going to be talking a lot about on the payoff pitch here because, let's be honest, the future of the Orioles isn't at the big league level right now. Uh, really, there's probably not a single guy, say, for maybe Trey Mancini, who's on that active roster that will be there when this rebuild does come to fruition. And with that in mind... A lot of people clamoring for Ryan Mountcastle to get the call up to the big league level, hitting 305 home runs, 19 RBIs down at the minor league level for Norfolk right now. But he has a 327 on base percentage, still doesn't walk a lot. Um, can you give us, you know, maybe a ceiling for Ryan Mountcastle and when we can expect him at the big league level? Well, I think the way he's playing, uh, the type of guy he is, and the trajectory that he's on, uh, definitely it's not out of the question. I think you will see him at some point in 2019 for sure. Um, for me, I, I think now that he's at first base, and it does seem like as an organization they view him that way, or at least moving forward, that might take some ceiling off. I just think that certainly like puts pressure on his bat to hit. It's going to probably take away some defensive value if he's only landlocked at first base. But he's a, he's a guy whose bat is enough to be an everyday guy at first base, no matter what, and he'll clear that offensive bar. And I think that we're seeing that as a guy that has a chance to both hit and hit for power. Right, and you mentioned that he's going to be playing first base. It's been, you know, widely regarded that Trey Mancini, who's having a great season for the Orioles right now, is the Orioles' first baseman in the future, even though he's been playing the outfield a lot. Once Chris Davis is gone, you know, it it was supposed to be Trey Mancini, but now we're looking at the potential of Ryan Mountcastle. And with that in mind, a lot of people are asking, should the Orioles extend Trey Mancini or should they trade him for prospects? What's your take on Trey Mancini when it comes to to an extension or possible trade bait? I don't know. I mean, I, I see it going different directions. I think that uh, there's probably a middle ground where you don't have to extend him, nor do you have to trade him right now. I mean, I think he's one of the few, like you said, team-controlled assets on the roster, one of the guys that's going to be around. Um, as it relates to Mountcastle, um, you know, I think with him coming up in the fold, that's what made it seem a little curious to me that they were working Mountcastle at first base uh, in spring training, just given that there's kind of a foreseeable logjam. So we'll, we'll see what they want to do with Mancini, and we'll see if ultimately if that becomes an issue or blocks Mountcastle. But I think right now, the way the organization is geared, their best player available, and once these young guys are ready, they're going to give them a chance to show what they can do at the major league level. Right, and it's never a bad problem to have on a ball club when you have too many guys that can hit the ball well. So it's a nice problem for the Orioles to have. Most of their other problems aren't nice problems. So um, speaking of being able to hit the ball well, the Orioles have a first-round draft pick at the minor league level in D.J. Stewart. Uh, They were expecting him to be a big on-base guy because that's what he did uh, at Florida State when he was in college. And he does have a decent on-base percentage right now at Norfolk, hitting three uh, with a 3.56 on-base percentage, but he's only batting 202. Still, he has more walks than strikeouts. 
What do you see as potential for him and then maybe even his teammate Anthony Santander who got called up as a 26th man for the doubleheader today? How do they fit into the future of the organization? When can we expect, them to, expect to see them at the big league level to stay? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's tough for these guys because they're both mostly they're, they're corner outfield defenders and it's difficult to really be a fourth outfielder or a guaranteed slam dunk, like valuable bench guy if you can't play all three outfield spots. So they're going to have to hit. Um, and I think what you're looking at is their ceilings. I think we're finding, and just for me, uh, I'm not sure if they're first division everyday guys on a corner. So I think looking at the ceiling of maybe that fourth, fifth type outfielder. But there's going to be pressure on the bat. Uh, I, I think for both of them, uh, something that I like about Santander is he's hitting 444 versus lefties to start the season, hitting right-handed. Sometimes carrying a uh, very strong platoon side can be the way to edge yourself into a part-time role or some playing time on a corner. We've seen the Orioles have done that a lot with both left and right field in years past. So that's kind of the ceiling I see for those guys. In terms of where they're uh, when they're here to stay, I think, that as, as you well know, and as people listening to this well know, the Orioles have no shortage of outfield options moving right. forward. And I think it's just going to kind of be somewhat of an ongoing competition or ongoing battle between guys like uh, these two and a handful of others for what the outfield rotation is going to be for this organization. Well, I've always said that any good ball club has an everyday player at every position. I've never been a fan of the platoon idea. I know that back in the 80s, uh, they had John Lowenstein, I believe Gary Renneke, that were, you know, platoon players in the outfield. And I just, I don't believe in that. I think that that's old-style baseball. I don't, I don't think it works in today's game. The Orioles have another couple. Of, you said they have no shortage of outfield prospects. They have another couple of guys who are both on the injury list right now, and Yusniel Diaz and Austin Hayes. We were expecting Austin Hayes to be the everyday center fielder, had a down year back in 2017, had a couple of injuries that really derailed his season. Seemed like he was back on track in spring training. They demote him, and then he, he sprains his thumb, sliding into second base on a stolen base attempt. He hasn't even played yet. Uh, and with Diaz on the injury list, I feel like those are the guys that we can see as everyday players, one in center field, maybe one, the other one in right field. But when can we expect them? I mean, we still have to get Austin Hayes on the field, right? Yeah, no, that, that's that's definitely true, and it was very unfortunate. I I think Hayes, he's kind of had some tough luck, both you know getting hurt right at the end of camp and uh, some injuries last year. Because there's just a lot of talent. We saw what he can do. Obviously, 2017 was a huge season for him when he really burst onto the scene. Um, he's now started his rehab, I believe, and I think he's taking swings down in Sarasota, and he's starting to work back the form. But you know, I'll say for Hayes. Same as Mountcastle, both both of these guys. I think it's a fairly safe assumption that uh, so long as their health is not an issue, that you're going to see him in 2019. I think Diaz, you know, he's he's struggled a bit since he came to the organization that trade statistically, um, and like you said, he's recently moved to the DL. I think for him, just because there's so many outfielders ahead of him, like we touched on a couple times already, uh, maybe the timetable is a little bit slower maybe they have time to let him figure it out a little bit so maybe 2020 for Usnail Diaz because it just I, I just feel like there's there's a wave of young outfielders that are going to have to crack through and get their chance first and then I think Diaz is probably going to be ready after that right and you can never really speak to what's going on between the ears but Diaz was in kind of blocked when he was out in LA he comes over to the Orioles and he gets his his shot at Bowie and there's a lot of pressure because 
he's sitting there thinking, I have the best chance of making the big league club on this team, and maybe he's pressing. You really can't speak to that, but I have to wonder if that's what's going on with him because he's definitely underperforming as far as we've seen from him at the, at the AA level when he was in L.A. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get a break and we're going to get a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit with Adam and we're going to talk about some of the Orioles pitching at the minor league level. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. All right, welcome back to the Payoff Pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley, and joining us from... 2080 Baseball is the Assistant Director of Pro Scouting, Adam McInturf, and we just got finished talking with Adam about the position players that the Orioles could see in the near future at the Major League level that are down in the minors. And we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about the pitching right now. And in my mind, the guy who's closest to Major League ready is the big lefty, Keegan Aiken. Right now he's 0-1 with a 4.76 ERA, but he's got 27 strikeouts in 22 and two-thirds innings pitched down in Norfolk. Adam, what do you see from Keegan Aiken, and when can we expect to see him on the Orioles roster? Yeah, no, uh, definitely very excited uh, to talk about Keegan Aiken. He's, he's a guy that I've liked for a long time. Um, last year was the pitcher of the year in the Eastern League. Like you said, he's missing a lot of bats in AAA. What's interesting is I think uh, he's, he's walking a few guys, and that's not really like him. I think he's a guy that established himself as kind of a control command guy early in his pro career and where you've started to see the swing and miss ability kind of increase is maybe in the last calendar year or so he's found some velocity that he had at the amateur level he's running his fastball back to the mid-90s and that paired with his wide array of secondary pitches he is missing bats so i think that's raised his profile for me like you said i totally agree i think he will uh I'm not sure. Is he on the 40-man roster now? I'm not sure if he is. I don't believe that he is. So they might need to make a move, and 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 I know they're they're care, you know they're doing the thing like a lot of rebuilding teams do. They're carrying some guys. They're evaluating some options right now. But when when he's ready, and if if, if there's a need, even you know they they may have to make a move to put him on the 40-man roster. But I think he's a you know pretty safe bet to be up by late 2019, certainly 2020. But I I think 2019 and you know, a left-handed starter that, in my opinion, has a chance to be a solid back-of-the-rotation 4-5 type guy. Um, that's, that's a very good pitcher. It's a very valuable asset uh, considering the team control in this era, for sure. Well, a left-handed pitcher that can miss bats is something the Orioles have been sorely needing the last several years. So it's definitely encouraging to see him pitching well down there, despite the ERA. I think that's just because of one bad start. But really excited to see him get up to the major league level. A couple other guys that we're excited to see, um, D.L. Hall. He's pitching for Bowie right now. He's the Orioles' first-round pick in 2017. Last year, he led all Orioles minor league, minor league starters in ERA. This year, 1-0 with a 4.20 ERA, again, because of one bad start. But he's got 23 strikeouts in 15 innings, and that's a, that's a common occurrence for the pitchers that we're going to talk about. All these guys are averaging almost a, a strikeout or more per inning. How do you feel about uh, D.L. Hall? Does he have a higher ceiling? Does he pro- has, have higher projectability than Keegan Aiken does? He's another left-handed pitcher. 
Yeah, uh, I think, you know, just talking on, like you said, quickly, the amount of strikeouts and the amount of stuff that some pitching prospects in this organization are showing, that's a real testament to some people in the front office and the scouting department and coaches. Uh, this is an organization that's quietly added a lot of good arms over the last uh, couple of years, both in trades and in the draft. So big, uh, big hat tip there. Um, for DL Hall, I mean, actually, chief among those guys, it's a good segue into DL Hall, first round pick in uh, 2017. He's actually he's in High A Frederick right now, um, so he's he's a couple levels below Aiken and Triple A, but I think his ceiling's a little bit higher. He, he's a different type of pitcher. He's a more of a slight frame, but a probably a little bit more natural velocity. So he'll run his fastball up to the 94, 95, sometimes 96 range. Um, with a no doubt, really, I mean, a signature pitch in high school that made him a first rounder was was, was a no doubt uh, swing and miss breaking ball that's had a chance to really miss bats. Um, his changeups come a long way, and I think with DL, you're looking at a guy that might be able to pitch a little bit higher in a rotation, maybe a middle of the rotation type lefty in the best case with his stuff. Um, certainly, I think uh, probably the highest ceiling left handed pitching prospect in the organization, and I know someone that they're very excited about in Baltimore. Very good. And you know what? Uh, I appreciate you correcting me. I got um, D.L. Hall and Zach Louther mixed up just based on where they are. It's Zach Louther that's in Bowie. It's a good problem to have. A lot of lefties, right? Right. And speaking of Zach Louther, um, he's another guy. He's, his strikeouts aren't that, aren't that great. He's, he's averaging less than a strikeout per inning. He has 12 walks and 18 in the third innings for Bowie this year. Uh, but he's still pitching to a 3-4-4 ERA. Nobody in Bowie has a winning record. It's, it's not a very good ball club right now to start the year. But what about Zach Louther? How do you feel about him? Yeah, uh, a little bit of a different type uh, type than maybe both certainly D.L. Hall and uh, certainly and, and Keegan Aiken a little bit too. Not, not as much velocity, but with him, um, Really, actually, you know, the, the walks, that's a little out of the ordinary for him, and I think he's going to get that back down. Just throughout his pro career, he's been it really a control command type lefty that's dominated the lower minors on his way up here because of exceptional field of pitch, a lot of ability to change speeds, and really uh, good feel to land secondary pitches at different parts of the strike zone. So I think that just because he's not operating with a high-octane fastball, I think that some of the strikeout rates that he posted to date, maybe coming up in A-ball, um, those might go down just a bit, but I think you're always going to see him get a, more swinging strikes than most guys operating at 89-91 like Lowther does because he really hides the ball and he gets very good extension in late ride. He's, he's a good testament to spin rate and uh, a lot of the things that you know the, the Astros influence, so to speak, in this organization. I think we're going to see more of. So he's he's certainly a promising pitcher. I think he'll be up 2020, uh, maybe 20, you know, 2020, 2021, and I think he's got a chance to be a back of the rotation guy. But he's he's got some overachiever qualities to him. Right, right. Uh, it seems to me like he might be a uh, location and pitch to contact guy who's going to need to use and trust his defense if he wants to succeed at the major league level. But right now he's still in the lower levels in the minor league. I mean, he's at Double A, but. Uh, excited to see what he can do in the near future. Another guy who was a first-round draft pick, and he's a teammate right now of D.L. Hall, that's Cody Sedlock. And Sedlock has been derailed uh, in his career, to start it anyway, based because of injuries and ineffectiveness. Uh, this year, though, he's pitching very well. Another guy, 20 strikeouts and 21 and two-thirds innings of Frederick. He's 1-0 with a 249 ERA. 
finally starting to look like that first-round pick that he was for the Orioles back in 2016. Is Cody Sedlock a guy that we could see sooner rather than later for the Orioles? You know, I think as, as positive as I want to be about a lot of things, and certainly it's great to see Cody back on the mound. Um, it's great to see him having success in Frederick. I still think, you know, he's starting games now. I personally, from what I've seen from this year, I still feel like long-term his best fit might be in the bullpen. I still think that uh, he he might be kind of figuring out who he is at the pro level. So I, I, I've seen him in the low 90s, and he's throwing two different breaking balls. There's still effort in his delivery. Um, and there he's, I, I didn't really see him throwing much of a change-up. So I think this is probably a guy that ultimately will pitch in shorter stints, especially with the injury history, and we'll kind of see what they have at, at, at that point. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll somewhat conservatively say later uh, to answer your question, but I, but I hope he proves me wrong. All right, I think we all do. It's, it's a, it would be a shame to see the Orioles waste a first-round draft pick on a guy who's probably going to end up being a reliever, kind of like Hunter Harvey, who got knocked around today again for Bowie. Um, Hopefully he can prove us wrong, but I agree with you. I think that Cody Sedlock potentially could have more of a role in the bullpen, which, to be perfectly honest with you, isn't the worst thing, even though he's a first-round pick. Right, and the bullpen certainly needs help right now with some of the misses early on with Jimmy Yacobonis and Tanner Scott, just to name a couple. Uh, the last two pitches I'm going to talk about with you because I'm really excited about these guys, and I think Orioles fans should be too. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, 3-0 with a 0-5-4 ERA, 28 strikeouts in 16 and two-thirds innings for Delmarva. And then Blaine Knight, 2-0 with a .87 ERA, 26 strikeouts in 22 thirds innings uh, down at Delmarva. Blaine Knight, I feel like, was a steal of the draft. They got him in the third round. I think this guy has ace potential. Yeah, uh, you know, these. I'm, I'm glad that these really are the two guys that we should touch on because I think the two storylines or the two positive storylines of the Orioles' farm uh, in April really has, has been Grayson and Blaine Knight in the Delmarva rotation. Um, Grayson Rodriguez, again, I, I appreciate and I like the Orioles have not shied away from being aggressive with prep pitching in the draft. D.L. Hall was their first rounder 2017, Grayson first round last year with the 11th overall pick. He's really been tremendous. He's been the most exciting thing on the farm. Uh, like, like I said, his stuff, he's been in the mid to upper 90s. He's shown off-speed pitches, a breaking ball, dismissing pats, vastly improving changeup. I mean, he's looking like, with his age, with the amount of projection that comes with a teenager, his frame and that stuff, I mean, you're looking at the ingredients of a, a front-line number two, number three type on a good team. Um, and I think Blaine Knight, you know, I think the ceiling might be just a little bit lower, the ceiling, but it's really, like you said, definitely looking like the steal in the third round. Um, really enthusing to see him go out and handle the South Atlantic League the way that a SEC Friday night guy should handle the South Atlantic League, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's running through low A, and he's showing that, uh, hey, you know, I, there, there, there's a reason I was an ace at Arkansas at a big school like that. You know, I'm, I'm ready to pitch against better competition, and I'm ready to do it now. So I think Blaine Knight probably is a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. You will probably see him move up before Rodriguez just because of that factor. And uh, in terms of Grayson's progression, I'd say look no further than what they've done with D.L. Hall, kind of moving him level to level year to year. I think that'll be a good proxy for how the Orioles handle these top uh, top flight high school pitching prospects. Right, and I, and I like that you mentioned that 
Uh, Blaine Knight is making the case to pitch against higher competition. I like that the Orioles started him down at Delmarva, you know, get his feet under him, get a little bit of confidence under him because it's only going to get more difficult each level that he goes up. Uh, and, he's, and somebody who craves that kind of competition, and he's showing that he craves it by pitching as well as he is, that's, some, that's a personality to be excited about. So, Adam, really great stuff from you today, man. We really appreciate you coming on the show. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy what you had to say and your, your analysis on each of these minor league players. The minor league system is pretty bare for the Orioles, but they do have some good prospects at the lower levels coming up, and you really gave us a, a good view of what we can really look forward to in the years to come. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that. And uh, With the number one pick in the draft and with the state of the major league team, I, I think things are changing rapidly, and this farm system is going to look a lot different. So there's, there's a lot of reason to be excited, and I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, man. We'll, we'll talk to you later. All right. And that's going to do it for us here on the Payoff Pitch, presented by DNL Window Tending on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. Thanks again to my guest, Adam McInturf from 2080baseball.com. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, guys.